There is a certain amount of understanding that, you know, sometimes not everybody needs to go to jail. Sometimes we need to look at other paths because this, this rote routine of put, putting people in and out of jail, in and out of jail, uh, it's not working. Welcome to the Spirit is Lit podcast, a spirit-centered podcast. Join us each week for a conversation on faith, current events, and everything in between. Hey folks, and welcome to this episode of the Spirit is Lit podcast. Uh, this is Jacob DeRussia. Um, this week we've got an episode with uh, one of our coworkers, one of my coworkers here at St. Patrick's Catholic Community. His name is Richard DiCarlo. He is actually a a former police officer, and right now he works uh, within the social justice department. So we had uh, some really good conversation today on you know the state of our um, policing uh, right now, as well as um, looking at kind of uh, the processes of uh, police reform and looking into uh, community policing, all that good stuff, and compassion and love. Um, yeah, and how faith plays a role into all that for, and has has played a role into all that for Richard. So um, I'm excited to for y'all to hear this conversation. Let's just jump into it. So welcome to the podcast, Richard. Um, just just to kind of get it kicked off, could you kind of just uh, tell people who who are I mean who are you? Who is Richard? Sure. So Richard is um, retired from the uh, Phoenix Police Department um, back in 2016. And I'm now a social justice and outreach associate here at St. Patrick's. And um, what we do in the social justice and outreach area is we look at the, the two feet of social ministry of charity and justice. And we try to bring the two feet together as, as much as we can. Um, the charity side, of course, is your, your drives and your collections and our, our hands-on experiences with those that we serve in the justice area uh, focuses more on the education and advocacy pieces around the different social issues of the people that we serve. So we get people to advocate for better uh, systemic um, plans that get put in place by governments. Um, you know, the, one of the great things about St. Patrick's is that we are not just involved uh, here on the campus, but we are known throughout the community and throughout the state as well. So it's very exciting and it's very challenging at the same time. So you, I mean, you've already mentioned that um, you have experience within working within the police force um, for as part of your career. And um, I don't know if you noticed this, but you also, you, you, met, you work at a church. So could you talk a little bit about um, your, uh, your experience, uh, your faith journey, as well as kind of your, your uh, experience and your journey within the police force? Sure. So I, I think it goes back to, um, to formation uh, when, in my younger days, um, I was always, um, after taking a career assessment test, it showed that I had a high level of wanting to work in the service area. So providing, um, you know, service to the, to the community, to give back to the community, that type of aspect. And I, I'd always want, of course, every police officer you ask you, they've always wanted to be a firefighter. So they say they took the wrong <laughs> test. <so> <laughs> um, but lo and behold, I ended up being a police officer. What and was that change like? What was that change? Was it just like one day, like realizing like, oh, fires are too hot. I can't. No, no. I think, you know, it was opportunity. 
Um, so it was, it's always difficult to get on the police, on the uh, fire department, I should say, um, because it's just uh, very few positions open up and there's, but there's more opportunity to, to be a police officer. So I started educating myself a little bit more uh, in that aspect. And it wasn't just, I jumped in and did it, but it was educating myself about doing ride-alongs and exposing myself to the different uh, opportunities that were out there and learn more about what policing was about. So I, I did that. Um, but I, first and foremost, I wanted to, I wanted to educate myself. So I did go to Jesuit high school and Jesuit college. And um, part of that, part of that education is not just sitting in the classroom and regurgitating information back and forth, but the Jesuits challenge you to um, to delve deeper into, into subjects and topics and um, to learn more about uh, particular areas of uh, social ministry and social justice and what that might look like and how, that, how you can apply that to the community around you. So um, for me, the more life experience you have getting into law enforcement, the better. And I didn't get into it right away when I turned 21. I was 28 years old when I got into it. Um, but as far as my faith experience goes, um, I, I was a type of, of Catholic that went to church, listened to the readings, went home, and, you know, and I'll see you next week type of thing. Uh, I realized, though, as I was getting into deeper into my law enforcement career that I needed something outside to sustain myself. So what I did was I, um, I took, I took a, a, I guess classes, this kind of a cohort. There's a program called Just Faith that was in the diocese years ago. Um, it's not here any longer. However, there was 12 of us in our cohort that went through a 33 week process and we delved into all of the different social issues that were out there from immigration to housing, to homelessness, um, fair wage, uh, workers' rights and responsibilities, everything. So it allowed me to see uh, root causes of things so that I felt more comfortable bringing that education and that knowledge back to the street level so that when I contacted people, I had a better understanding from where they were coming from. I had a better understanding about what they face on a day-to-day -day basis and what caused people to be in the, at, the, at this point in their lives, that what, whatever brought them to this point in their lives, what got them there. Um, so that, that helped me in, in, in a better understanding with people. Wow, that's, that's incredible. I guess, I don't know, just the way that you're your career as a police officer kind of led you into faith, which then led back um, to your career. Like, did you, um, and you were also talking a lot about, you know, this, you know, Jesuit background that you have. Um, there's actually like a common buzzword for the greater common good. Um, what does that look like with regards to maintaining safety for everyone, um, for, being a police officer um, and the community they serve, things like that? Well, first and foremost, um, I think part of that, that buzzword too is um, 
uh, one of their, their phrases is being open to growth. And when you're, when you're open to growth, I think that allows you uh, a better understanding of what, what the word common good means, right? I mean, that, that theme is in all of our themes of Catholic social teaching. And as we, as we grow in our faith and we uh, better understand what the seven themes of the Catholic social teaching are, um, that openness to growth has allowed, now allowed me to uh, understand what it is for the common good. So when, when I got into police work, um, it's very easy to kind of put on this macho hat and say, this is a cool job. I get to carry a gun. I'm wearing this uniform. Um, but the mature thing, the, the mature character that an officer should have is to be, I'm out there to serve the common good so that I can make the quality of life better in the neighborhood that I'm serving. That's, so with, that's the end goal. So with you know all of your experience, um, and I'm sure you have like memories that, that come up, especially re, you know regarding um, you know this 2020 has been crazy. A lot of all these instances bringing to the being brought to the forefront. Um, you know, just naming like you know like George Floyd instant. Um, to, to, to name kind of maybe the one, one of the biggest ones, what's going through your head kind of, how do you, I guess, how do you process these things, you know, taking into account your experience and, and um, yeah. Well, first and foremost, I think that when you have incidents like this uh, occur, um, it, it, as, a, a, as a society, it brings a lack of trust towards a department or an agency that, is there to guarantee your safety. Um, I, I think that it also causes um, a reaction from, from people to um, not just look at that injustice of that incident, but it also causes them to look outward at the injustices as a whole that we're experiencing as a country. And I think that that frustration uh, and that anger, um, I think it gets focused a lot, of course, on the police department because the incident happened from a police department. Uh, but police departments and police officers are at, the, are, are at the visual forefront day in and day out of our government agencies. Um, it doesn't take long to drive down the street and not see a police car or a police officer. I mean, they're there. They're the visual aspect of, of what our safety is. And um, I think that with a lot of the other injustices that are going on as a country as a whole, people don't have a voice and that frustrates them but they'll direct that frustration and that anger towards those who are right, right in front of them. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, of the, of the tens of millions of calls 
that are taken across the country throughout the year. Um, and I'm not making excuses for this, these incidents that have happened. I, I think that there's a I think that there was a certain amount of defiance, especially in the, in the face of the officer, like we were talking about George Floyd. I think there's a, a certain amount of defiance when it comes to that, like you can't tell me what to do type of thing. But of the tens of millions of calls that occur across the country every year, there are so many things that go right. And I'm talking about very, very high levels of violence that officers have to confront on a day-to-day -day basis that, that we don't even see, that we don't even know about. And um, it's very easy to forget about that, you know, um, mm -hmm. but when the things go wrong, because we're at, at such the forefront of the visual aspect of government agencies, um, you can see how things start to untangle. Yeah, you can see easily just and I think we're kind of living a little bit that of that now. Um, I think it was really interesting what you said about how it, it comes down to trust um, and how, you know, this maybe starts big and, and because we don't see actively and maybe we're not actively searching for it, um, but because we don't see those hundreds of thousands of, of acts of, um, of justice, um, every day, like we only see the negative. I think you're right, like there is that lack of trust. So, so how, do, but trust goes both ways. So how do we as a community on both sides try to build that trust back? So that's an interesting question, Emmy, because you mentioned the word community. Um, you build that trust by, by relationship. And I could just tell you from uh, having watched this throughout my career, um, community-based policing was a, was a very strong um, piece to policing um, in the 1990s and early 2000s. And it, and it still is. Um, but what happened uh, during the recession is, and, and we'll, I'm sure we're going to get into this, um, we hear about defunding, right? Um, what happened was an unintended consequence of the recession caused uh, government agencies, including police departments, to cut back. And they started trimming. Well, in my experience, we had uh, really, really good relationships going with the neighborhood groups that we served in the area that I worked we were able to partner with other governmental bureaus so that we can improve, like I said earlier, the quality of life to the area that we serve, especially the, the high crime ridden areas. Uh, a lot of the area where I worked was, was low income, multiple housing, not much ownership. People moved in and out all the time. It was just, uh, there was a lot of havoc that was going on, but when we, partnered with bureaus, uh, neighborhood association presidents, and built relationship with them and asked what they needed us to do. Not just what are not, we weren't just asking ourselves what we needed to do. We weren't trying to sell anything to ourselves, but we needed to ask them to be partners with us 
and when and when it worked, it worked great. But the unintended consequence of being defunded um, takes this effect of moving officers uh, out of community meetings, out of community gatherings, uh, back on the street, going from call to call to call because they have a lack of resources. I, I mean, I remember there were squads that were designated eight or nine people and they'd be going out with four, maybe five, five people to cover an area. Oh, wow. So what, what's that tell you, right? Um, and then the other independent, I just read this article yesterday. When that happens, um, you receive a lot less information from, from people that live in the neighborhood. So when you don't have the time to gather and communicate, um, that communication uh, just goes flat. And so I read an article yesterday that uh, the homicide rate up in, in Phoenix is up 44% from what it was this time last year. So right now there's 144 homicides in 2020 compared to 63 last year at this time. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then the other effect of that is it just has a, it just has a, a very, a very uh, ill effect on the officers. Morale starts getting low. Um, and there's not much respite from seeing the day-to-day -day violence that they encounter every day. How much does, um, I mean, with, I mean, with social media and all that, uh, a lot of this is, um, you know, coming to the forefront, uh, some of it, you know, we might overreact, some of it, we might not overreact. Um, some of them we might know, be able to tell, I don't know, um, a little bit more of the picture, some of the, some of it um, might cause conflict, but I guess my question is how much of the whole picture does the, does the public really see when, you know, these viral videos go out? So um, we see snippets, right? We see, um, we see the end result of an encounter that may have been going on for a long period of time, you know, within, within that call. Uh, we see the end result of the, of the shooting or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, I, th I think what we don't see, though, uh, what we don't see are the, the, the generational and systemic brokenness that has led to some of these encounters. Mm. Um, it's easy to catch an end result on, on something where where it ends in violence i i, I honestly I, I think that social media is is good but i also think that it feeds this um i don't know what word i'm looking for here but it just feeds this desire to um see uh incidents end in a negative way. And I'm not sure why, why we as a society have this thirst for that. Um, but that's something even going back to, you know, Roman times, you would watch gladiators and we have this terrible, um, 
desire as humans and we've had throughout history for for carnage for violence and yet we like it when it's at a distance right so when it's up close and personal it's got to be different and and it's it's there in a heartbeat now right click of a button Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not even the replay. Right. Sometimes it's out there. In fact, it is out there before police departments can even get a, a hold of it and release it, go through the motions to release it, you know, through whatever protocols that, that they use. How is that as a police officer when there's information going out and and you don't have it all? What was that? What was that like? Um, so uh, the cell phone era really. Um, I guess, I guess the question I ask is people is, is how would you like it if you went to work every day and there was a camera sitting on you for everything <laughs> and anything that you yeah. did, mm-hmm. um, which is in a, in a way it's good too, because there's the age old question is, is the person doing their job even when somebody's not looking or they're, are they doing their job the way they're supposed to do it when, even when somebody's looking. And it does hold us, hold us to a certain standard and there should be standards. There should be very, very, very high standards. Um, but at the same time, it's it it puts you um, it puts you on edge. And everything that you do, everything that you react to, you're thinking to yourself, "Geez, am I going to end up on CNN tonight because of, mm, yeah. of sometimes a situation I, I I can't control, but it may not end in a good in a good way." Um, and it, it, that causes some stress um, for, for, for the officer. Which, if anything, that can lead, I guess I never thought of it that way, but that could also kind of go back to that trust issue is that, yes, there's that good that we can, you know, you have that accountability, but on the other side, um, forcing that upon someone constantly leaves that trust where you're constantly anxious. Um, and anxiety does not lead to positive outcomes just in general. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to kind of switch gears on us a little bit and talk about just training. Um, have you have you seen different changes in police training, um, you know, with these cases that we've kind of seen more modernly um, or even just throughout your experience? Have you seen changes in police training? Um, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think that, you know, when I went through the academy in 1991, it was a little, um, it, it wasn't as militaristic, so to speak. Um, it started embracing more of the community-based policing uh, aspect, like I had talked about earlier. So it taught, um, it, it brought it to a different level of, um, of communicating and um, how to de-escalate situations better through through verbal <clears throat> communication. Um, I think that I think that for the officer now, uh, what we're seeing is well, we're, we're losing a lot of officers that are senior. So you're losing a lot of experience and wisdom. Or you're also losing a lot of wisdom through experience, however you want to, however you want to look at that, right? So, and a lot of the, they can only give you so much training in the academy. Basically, you're going to, 
you're going to learn the, the rules and the regulations, the uh, different scenarios that they can put you in in the academy. But realistically, the real training comes at the street level. Mm. Um, you're leaving that sterile environment of the academy. You're now face-to-face -face with the everyday of uh, homicides, suicides, overdoses, domestic violence, prostitution, you name it. I mean, you're putting on a, a lot of different hats in a very short amount of time of your street training. Mm -hmm. So the training level uh, at the street, uh, I, was, I was fortunate to have a training officer who had 12 years on. Now, most of the common? time, uh, well, now, nowadays, most of the officers have three or four years on that are training the new the guys coming out of the academy, just because, like I said, they're losing experienced officers. Mm. However, having said that, they are looking at different types of training now um, to make help officers become more aware of implicit biases, for example. They go through um, a class of, of what's called implicit biases. Um, they've changed different trainings as far as tactical things like the carotid restraint hold is, is, is gone. You, you can't use that anymore. Um, there's different trainings for our citizens as well. There's a citizens academy that you can, you can apply for and they put you through the everyday of what an officer faces uh, at the street so the citizen has a better understanding. Really? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. So that's, that's a different form of training for the citizen. Yeah, to um, build trust back. Wow. Okay. Yep. There's, um, they've, also, um, they've also looked at the mental health of the officer. And now they're doing regular assessments where before they, they weren't doing that as much. Before you got into a shooting, you were off for three days and you're back on the street. Now, um, you're off for 30 days from your squad, but you can go do something else within the department that's not that's not enforcement. Like you can go ride in a helicopter or ride with a canine or something like that. Um, and, and I think that um, the department departments are recognizing that you know, the human aspect of, of an officer, right? You can't send broken, you can't send broken in to fix broken. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if an officer is carrying baggage because of their, their everyday encounters that they see over and over and over again, um, the departments have finally taken a step back and said, you know what? We need to have regular mental health assessments. Which, which I think is, is very, very good because I think they've been looking at some statistics. Um, I think it was in 2017, um, USA Today put out something of, of officer deaths, 46 were, were from being shot, but 140 were from suicide. So that, that statistic in and of itself speaks volumes as far as I'm concerned. So, um, Richard, you spoke earlier about um, kind of these issues that are just 
um, basically systemic issues, which is reminding me of uh, Father Greg Boyle talking about, you know, his theology on this, that like people are inherently good. Um, it's just kind of the systems that, that and then, um, which, which is also reminding me about, um, as I watched your conversation with Brian Cannon, um, and like the, the big, the big code, a big book that you, that police officers, because, because, uh, um, the system has kind of changed over time. You maybe add more rules. So my, I mean, I, I, I'm curious, and I think our millions and millions of listeners would be, uh, curious about, uh, I guess how, how, how is police, what's like the process of reforming police in terms, you know, when, when things change, when we need to change things and we, we learn. Yeah. So we learn from our mistakes that 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 three inch book, right? Um, it's it's uh, yeah. your, your your operations, policies, and procedures, um, and it's one thing to 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 read the book, get tested on the book, but then to go out and apply that um, is a whole is a whole different thing, and um, I, I think. You know, you mentioned Greg Boyle. I, I think the quote that I ended that with was was one of his quotes. Um, when we when we look at the people that we we serve and, and and don't stand in judgment, but we actually stand in awe at what they encounter or put up with on a day to day basis in that in that brokenness. Um, I think if we allow ourselves to stand in awe, it gives us a certain amount of compassion and understanding to better serve and not bring this, this predetermined judgment um, in, in, into law enforcement. So with that, with that three inch binder, if you have the mature and if you have the mature officer with wisdom, um, Hopefully they've they've gained some type of, of com compassion over the years, um, but they can also use that three inch binder as a as a guideline, and um, you know use the uh, spirit of the law and not not the letter of the law in in some cases, right? And, and I'm not talking you know, listen if someone needs to go to jail because of whatever act that they've committed against public safety and, you know, for, for public um, peacefulness and safety, that's, that's one thing. Um, but in our encounters with the everyday, um, there is a certain amount of understanding that, you know, sometimes not everybody needs to go to jail. Sometimes we need to look at other paths because this, this rote routine of put, putting people in and out of jail, in and out of jail, uh, it's not working. So we have to allow ourselves uh, as a police department to allow outside individuals uh, to come in and assist because you can't do it all. And I'm talking like maybe mental health teams that, that go out with, with police officers, um, or whatever it might be but there has to be some type of um, reform and change um, of the way things have been, been done in the past. Uh, uh, police departments are always evolving. 
And I think they're always looking for ways, especially lately, to help them better serve uh, what, what they're called to do. Yeah, um, I, I don't know, do you, you bring up these, these words of, of wisdom and compassion and you're applying this to this, you know, book of legislation, these rules, these regulations and, and seeing the human aspect underneath. And like, for me, that's someone that's not dealing with this on the everyday. Um, like I, like I, I hear so many threads of, of what we are called to be as Christians, like through that, um, have you, do you try to look at that, that book of regulations, um, like through, through your, your lens of, of a Catholic? And if you do, or if you don't, um, like how does that affect what you do if you're looking through it with, with that perspective or not of your faith? I think that, um, I think the best way to answer that is that, you know, officers take an, take an oath. Um, and when you take that oath, you're promising to do the best that you can um, to represent the department. Um, I could tell you this, that from day one, um, integrity was, was pounded into our heads uh, at the academy, you know. Um, the highest level of integrity of, is, is, is what, what they're looking for. Um, so when you do that, I think to effectively, there's a balance. You have to effectively represent the department in a good way, but you also have to look at the rules and regulations as, um, just that, but the challenge is now you're bringing in the human emotion and everything else that, that comes with that when you encounter people. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it such a challenging job, I believe. So um, thank you, first off, for, for your time and your commitment to our community. And thank you for our time here today. We're um, just about to wrap up, but we're going to end um, on a little bit of a lighter note, something that we do with all of our guests. Just a couple quick questions. Um, just to kind of wrap things up. All right. Andrew, we, we call this the fire round. The fire round. Whatever, <laughs> like, whatever comes to you, you just let it out. Okay. All right. Okay. So what does the spirit is lit mean to you? The spirit is lit means that it's alive in every person, but in a different way. Mm. All right, that's all. That's that leads us into our next uh, question. So, Richard, um, who is more lit, oh. Emmy or Jacob? You have an unfair advantage. He knows you more. Oh, uh, I'm gonna say Emmy because <laughs> I've never met her before. <laughs> oh my gosh, Emmy's gotten like every vote. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Richard. I didn't realize how stressed I was about that one. Next question. Next well, I'm question. Not afraid of, I'm not afraid of Jacob, so that's why I said Emmy. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, next question. Next question, Jacob. Go ahead. If you were Pope for a day, Richard, what would you do? Uh-oh. I better be careful with this one. 
<laughs> rapid fire. Here it comes. Here it is. Just gut response. You if are Pope. Pope for a day. I'd give everybody the day off with pay. Oh, my goodness. I, I give, wait a minute. I give everybody a week off with pay. How's that? Oh, okay. I okay. So here's the thing. I I don't know how this process works, like uh, specifically, but like I will write your application to become a cardinal, and just I I, I will vote for you for this. Amen. <laughs> Done. <laughs> well, first, we're gonna have to break through the barrier of having a married priest. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, and and you know, voting as like a lay person, and that's a whole other thing. Anyway. Right. Last question, the hardest question of the night, most important, take a breath. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Oh, <laughs> at least 35. I know the commercial said three, but that's focus. <laughs> I remember the owl licked it one, two, and then bit into it the third time of that old commercial. So you're aging me now. Um, Excuse me. I had the exact same answer of three. So we are, we're still young adults in this group. We're all good. No aging here. So 35 <laughs> it is, Richard. 35 for you, Richard. Oh. Well, thank all you right. so much for your time. Jacob and I have loved just talking, hearing your perspective, um, using your wisdom and experience um, that we kind of talked about before and just seeing how we can apply that with our perspectives and worldviews and um, balancing, you know, what we see with our faith. So thank you so much. And everyone else, we will catch you next time. Catch you later. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Okay, you bet. Peace Bye -bye. out, everyone.